Welcome to our podcast, where I, Keely Severson, Eric Johnson, and Alicia Swamy are exposing mold. Today, we are here with attorney Rachel Abramovitz. Some of Rachel's current work includes working on fighting against the vaccine mandates. Rachel is an attorney admitted to practice law in New York, California, and Israel. She offers her clients over 20 years of experience providing legal counsel on matters of corporate and business law, privacy, HIPAA, mHealth apps, terms of use and privacy policies, general commercial contracts, FDA regulatory compliance pre and post approval, clinical trial, confidentiality, licensing, SAS, clinical supply and vendor agreements, orphan drug development, CAN SPAM Act, employment agreements, employee handbooks, and U.S.-Israel business transactions. In addition to her law practice, Rachel is a pro bono advocate for patient rights. She was a voting member of the NYU Langone Medical Center IRB, Ethics Committee overseeing clinical research from 2011 to 2019. Rachel presents frequently at industry conferences on clinical research, healthcare, and HIPAA compliance, and has published articles on HIPAA and clinical research and legal issues surrounding Phase 4 studies. Rachel is a graduate of the Mikalala Lemingkal School of Law in Israel in 1995 and the University of San Diego of Law in 2000. She is fluent in Hebrew and English and is also studying Arabic. This podcast is brought to you by Michael Rubino, the Mold Medic, and All-American Restoration, the first and only mold remediation company in the country specializing in remediating mold for people with underlying health conditions or mold sensitivities. They've quickly become the most recommended remediation company from doctors and mold inspectors nationwide. Check out our show notes to pick up your copy of Michael Rubino's book, The Mold Medic, an expert guide on mold remediation, or visit allamericanrestoration.com to get your home assessed and get your health back on track today. This podcast is brought to you by My Myco Lab. Are you sick and tired of being sick and tired all of the time? Have you gone from doctor to doctor, had lots of tests, tried many medications, vitamins, supplements, and still feel awful? You and many others like you could be suffering from exposure to molds and mycotoxins where you live or where you work. My MycoLab specializes in the most precise form of mycotoxin testing by analyzing a patient's IgG and IgE antibodies in a blood serum sample, producing accurate results you can trust. Visit MyMycoLab.com to order your test today. Rachel, would you explain to us a little bit about what it is you're doing and why and what, what you see as the laws surrounding the vaccine mandates? Sure, sure. So uh, what I'm doing is basically I, I coach people that contact me. I usually get at least one email or call a day from people who are looking for assistance or being uh, mandated to take the vaccine by their employer. And uh, so I help talk them through the process of requesting a medical and or religious exemption. Sometimes their exemptions have already been denied and I'll help them think about filing a complaint with the EEOC. Equal Opportunity Employment Commission, because uh, the employers are required to provide religious accommodations unless they can prove that it would cause them an undue hardship. So basically, they must give a religious exemption unless they can prove that giving a religious exemption would cause them an undue hardship. So if an employer just says, no, it's going to cause me an undue hardship, but haven't they haven't proven why, and that's not acceptable, for example. So that's some examples of what I, I'm doing in terms of vaccine mandates. And if someone has a medical issue, we could talk about, you know, how to find a doctor that would be able to give them a medical exemption note. And if it's not accepted, you know, what are their options in terms of connecting them with an attorney or a law firm that could assist with litigation, because I don't handle litigation. In addition to that, I also assist the families who have patients in the hospital who are being isolated against their will, denied potentially life-saving medication like ivermectin. I also work with an organization that provides uh, paired tablets so that one tablet goes into the hospital with the patient and the other stays at home so that the family can remain in touch with the patient at all times which is also being fought tooth and nail by many of the hospitals. 
Before we get into all of that, what made you want to work on this? Um, you know, did you see something going on that was wrong in the system? I mean, we, we all understand what's going on. We know it's, yeah. it's pretty tyrannical, but what, what drove your interest to focusing on this? What happened was uh, I had a client, an ultra-Orthodox individual from New York, who called me in the spring of 2020 frantic that the patients were being um, denied access to hospital or were being admitted to the hospital. And then they would disappear into the hospital and the family wouldn't hear anything for days or a week or so or more, and then just get noticed that the patient had died. And uh, he wanted to know what could we do? This was uh, an individual that I was assisting just with corporate, transactional, regulatory matters, uh, food and drug related, because that's my area of practice is FDA regulatory compliance and privacy, corporate, transactional work. That's my bread, my bread and butter. And I said, you know, I don't know. I'll think about it and get back to you. It was a Friday, like today. It was a Friday. And I said, let me talk to you uh, after the Sabbath on Saturday night. And he said, no, we have to work on this on the, on the Sabbath. This is a matter of life and death. And I was shocked <laughs> that he was going to work on something on the Sabbath. It, it really shocked me. And I started to look into what was happening and what were the rights of these patients in the hospital. Prisoners of war had more rights than the patients in the hospitals of New York in the beginning of the pandemic. And even today, uh, Patients are being isolated against their will, denied access to the outside world, especially if they have COVID. And now with the vaccine mandates, patients are being denied treatment if they aren't vaccinated. They're being denied procedures if they're not vaccinated. Even though the emergency use authorizations for the vaccines that are under EUAs, which are all of them except for Pfizer, the FDA expressly states in the approval that the, the individual must have the right to refuse and that medical treatment cannot be denied. It's in black and white, and yet the medical establishment moves forward with denials and it becomes more and more brazen from day to day. So why am I doing it? Um, because I just can't sit back and not do anything when I'm in a position where I have certain understanding of regulatory issues and I'm in a position to assist because of my background and my practice area. And so I feel I'm obligated to do so. Thank you so much for putting yourself out there and fighting against the, the issues that we're facing today because there's not enough people like you out there. And I, I, I hope that through time, this changes and more people sign on. Now, I found you on the FLCC nurses website. And so I'm assuming while you're kind of going through these motions and going through that story that you just talked about, that you decided to join that group. So um, I am. I work closely with uh, with Nicole Sorotek, who's one of the founders of that group. I reached out to her after she had a video that went viral, where she was reporting the same things that I was hearing from patient families and patient advocates in New York. I was so relieved to see someone saying this is what's happening, and this is exactly the same thing that I was hearing from other sources. So uh, we began working together and we've been collaborating on various different projects of advocating for patients. And she's a wonderful human being and I'm honored to work with her. That's fantastic. And I think that's something that the, the regular normal person day to day doesn't understand is that patients have rights and we can find outside advocates that will help us through the process because you know, we met because of my situation, right? My mother-in-law was in the hospital because, because of COVID. They were doing a lot of fishy things that didn't make any sense to me. There was a lot of procedures put on her that were not medically justified. And like you said, they're, they're extremely isolated. And it doesn't make any sense to me that they're putting patients in isolation if we have a vaccine rollout. If the vaccine is supposed to, quote unquote, protect our healthcare workers, and the reason why they implement these programs in the hospital is to reduce exposure from healthcare worker to patient, 
why are we still doing these type of comfort care type of procedures in the hospital instead of actually treating respiratory patients the way they're supposed to be treated? And that is getting them up, moving them around. And what I'm seeing and what I dealt with with my own mother-in-law is that they just literally stick you in a dark room mm-hmm. and leave you on your back. And then when situation gets dire, then they're going to start proning you and moving you. And so I don't really understand that disconnect. And I don't know if, if you have information or understand why that's going on. I think that um, and it's hard to understand unless, and, and first of all, they, you know, the excuse of, oh, we have to isolate, like you said, why, why, is, why is it necessary if, if everyone's vaccinated, then why do we need to isolate these patients? But it's not only the COVID patients that are isolated. All the patients are isolated. It depends from hospital to hospital and state to state. But my neighbor's mother was hospitalized, not for COVID, in Kentucky a couple of months ago, and he was permitted to see her 15 minutes a day. They've just locked down all the hospitals, remove the family. And when you remove the family, you expose the patient to increased risk of medical neglect. You take away their right to informed consent because when the patient is out of it, they can't consent. And if the, the healthcare proxy is not at the bedside, then who's going to consent? The doctors just do whatever they want. The nurses do whatever they want. And then on top of that, you've got removal of all the prior standard of care processes and procedures. And instead, they've implemented new standard of care, quote unquote, which are based on, I don't know, you know, it's hard to tell, but the NIH guidelines for treatment of COVID patients do not recommend ivermectin. Why? No reason. Absolutely no reason. Well, there is a reason. And the reason is that if there were any viable treatments for COVID, and there would be no justification to keep the emergency use authorizations alive. And they have to keep those going until they can get all of the other vaccines approved. In the meantime, you know, through political pressure, the FDA approved the Pfizer vaccine, even though it's still experimental. The, the, the trials are going to be uh, continuing until 2023. All these vaccines were developed with the warp speed, skipping animal trials, which is a violation of the Nuremberg Code. So they're certainly experimental, and yet our public health authorities have, in in a brazen manner, are forcing everyone to undergo these medical treatments, these experimental medical treatments, clearly a violation of the Nuremberg Code, in my view, from a legal perspective. The Nuremberg Code is not optional, in, in my view. It's the basic baseline requirement, voluntary consent of the human research subject, is a must. And in any rule or regulation or executive order or presidential order or whatever it may be that violates the Nuremberg Code is on its face a crime against humanity, clear and simple. And under the doctrine of superior orders, anyone who gets an order from their superior, which is clearly unethical and immoral, should not follow it. The Nuremberg trials were clear. SS officers who followed orders and shot uh, Jews until they fell dead in the ditch were not protected by the claim that they were just following orders because when an order is clearly unethical and immoral, you can't follow it and you should not follow it. So everyone who's following the, the vaccine mandates are guilty, just like the people who issued these mandates of crimes against humanity because they are forcing people to undergo experimental treatments without voluntary informed consent. So that's my perspective on it in a nutshell. I'm just, at this point, I'm just so speechless by what's going on. It just just feels like we're not really, we're not learning from history. Mm -hmm. And if there's anything that we learned to the core in high school history class was you know, what happened in Nazi Germany and what, what happened to the Jews. I mean, it's such a horrible situation, but, you know, in a way, we're going in that direction right now. Oh, yeah. Uh, the, C- the CDC has uh, on their website, they have the plans, their plans to, trans- to transfer high-risk individuals, elderly, disabled, and unvaccinated to internment camps. It's in black and white on their website. In case of a surge in an area, 
if they were to think, oh, let's say we get the next wave after the Delta variant, whatever the next variant is, if it's very dangerous in their opinion, they could take the elderly, disabled, and unvaccinated and remove them from their homes and put them in internment camps according to their own plan in black and white on the CDC website. All you need to do is Google CDC internment camps and you'll find it. It's all there. Already hundreds of thousands of people are being forced to take this experimental injection against their will to keep their jobs or they're being fired. People are being denied around the world access to supermarkets, to food. It's one thing to be denied access to a Broadway show, whatever, you know. <laughs> I, can, I can skip the Broadway show. I never really liked Broadway shows, to be quite honest. But it's another thing to deny people access to supermarkets, to food. It's really unbelievable what's happening right now in the world and very, very disturbing. And these mandates are coming, for example, uh, in Egypt, there's a mandate for citizens, government workers and citizens, university students. The mandates are coming from the International Monetary Fund and World Bank when they loan countries money. Initially, uh, when they were loaning countries money in the beginning of the pandemic, they would include requirements to initiate lockdowns and mask mandates. And now, since of course the lockdowns made the economies go down, when more loans were needed, and when more loans are needed by these same countries that go back to the World Bank and the International Monetary Fund, they're required to initiate vaccine mandates. So why? Who is pulling these strings to require these illegal, unethical, immoral mandates? The lockdowns also were ex behavioral experimentation on the population. There was no proof that lockdowns are safe or effective for their purported use, which was to prevent transmission and infection with COVID. No proof. In fact, we know that the lockdowns caused severe uh, increases in suicide, domestic violence, depression, mental health issues. So the lockdowns themselves were very harmful and, of course, the harm to the economies. So you have to ask yourself, why is the International Monetary Fund and why, are the, why is the World Bank requiring countries to mandate vaccines? Who's pulling these strings? Someone, well, you got to follow the money. You've got these companies who are making billions and billions of dollars on these vaccines. And it's a great deal for them because it's a mandated product with zero liability. The PREP Act in the U.S. gives uh, all anyone who's involved in any countermeasures for COVID, which includes the vaccines, full uh, immunity from civil and criminal uh, liability unless there was willful misconduct, which is defined in such a narrow fashion that it's virtually impossible that someone would actually have, have engaged in willful misconduct. So basically, all the entities, the United States, and all entities involved in the research, development, manufacturing, distribution, administration, et cetera, et cetera, all COVID countermeasures have full immunity from civil and criminal liability. So you've got a product here uh, that is, they have full immunity from any liability. They get to mandate it on everyone as much as they want. If they want boosters, they'll just go talk to their friends at the FDA, get more boosters approved. It's, it's great. It's a cash cow. Yeah, and at the end of the day, whoever has the money is controlling everything. And it seems like, and we know that these big companies, big pharma and, and government, Congress, executives, whoever, leadership. And big tech. Big tech also, they're taking the data. It's really shocking. I mean, the emergency use authorization vaccines, the manufacturers did not have to disclose the ingredients, all of the ingredients, because it was experimental. But then when Pfizer got their approval of, the, of their uh, vaccine, I don't really call them vaccines, I call them PLIs, potentially lethal injections. But when Pfizer got approval for their shot, they got special permission from the FDA to keep one ingredient secret. And that ingredient comprises between 20 and 22% of each vial. So not only are people being forced to take an experimental injection, but there's a secret ingredient in it that nobody knows what it is. Wow. It's just unbelievable. Talk, I, I call it COVID roulette. 
They want to force us to play COVID roulette because we know from theirs that we've had, I don't know how many now deaths associated. And we know that that's between one and 10% of the total actual number of deaths is reported because VAERS is just a spontaneous voluntary reporting system. But we've got through spontaneous voluntary reporting, more than 15,000 deaths reported associated with these shots. So it's a potentially lethal injection that we're being forced to take. So I call that COVID roulette. And you have my permission to adopt my term, COVID roulette. For the kids, it's ridiculous. They're not at risk for severe disease. These vaccines do not prevent infection or transmission. If you read the fine print on the Pfizer results, they say it prevents COVID-19 disease. But if you look at how they define COVID-19 disease, it means severe disease. So it doesn't prevent infection or transmission of COVID. All it does is prevent severe disease, quote unquote. And children are not at risk for severe disease in the first place. So why would you expose them to all the risks that we know are associated with these shots? If you look at the the emergency use authorization uh, info for the other vaccines, or if you look at the Pfizer info, the first thing is there's a risk of anaphylactic shock. Okay, anaphylactic shock means if you don't get, uh, you know, an atropine injection immediately, you could die. Not to mention the myocarditis and the young men and the blood clotting and... Absolutely. But I'm just starting with, uh, why would I want to take an injection that could cause me to go into anaphylactic shock? That's no joke, going into anaphylactic shock. That's horrible. That's a horrible thing to happen to a person, to go into anaphylactic shock. Why would I want to do that if I'm not at risk? What about if I already had COVID and I'm actually immune? Totally ignoring the fact that people who have already had COVID probably don't need the shot at all. Maybe it's even puts them at risk for more severe reactions to the shot because it's not about our health. It's, It's about something else. What it is, we don't know even. Secret ingredients, secret reasons. We have no transparency from anyone. Absolutely. And, and the media has been taken hostage as well by big pharma and government agencies to really scare you into doing this or saying it's necessary, save lives, or saying the unvaccinated are the ones you must fear. People who are devout news watchers, they believe this, and then they continue on that narrative. And, and you see this weird divide in the U.S. these days. And I don't know how it is international, but it's like the vaccinated against the unvaccinated. And and this is just what everyone talks about 24-7. It's like it gets so exhausting after a while. That's why I'm out here doing a scuba diving course. (laughs) Well, good for you. Good for you, my dear. I'm very glad. (laughs) Thank you. It's hard, though. I have to tell you, scuba diving is not easy. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I've, I've done it in a in Cabo, and you know you got to be careful, or else you'll get the bends. I always I always remember that. Don't go up too quickly because you'll get the bends. <laughs> yeah, uh, well, I, I've only gone down twice, and the, it's pretty uh, it's pretty daunting. But hopefully, I'll finish the course. <laughs> and then it, it makes you want to be a permanent fish, you know, because you just look around, and you're like, oh, what a life, you know. There's not. Oh yeah, know. the fish here are making. <laughs> You just have to go out just a little bit. You just swim out a little bit into the Red Sea, and they're just all around you, all kind of cool fish and corals everywhere. It's really amazing. Everyone should come and visit. All you need is a negative PCR to to come in. Fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I think at this point we're not really sure what travel looks like, but hopefully, you know, there, there is that option for at least providing a negative test and not having to be vaccinated. I know that Canada has become a little bit more strict where if you fly or if you, I don't know what the other option was. So if you fly and you have to be vaccinated, you can go in uh, via their borders as an unvaccinated individual. But it seems like um, some countries are just becoming more tighter on what's going on. And you're seeing that really, I mean, you're really seeing the worst of it in Australia right now. Yes. Um, with how draconian their laws are, you can't even be on the beach. You know, the police are coming after you, trying to put you in jail or fine you thousands of dollars. You know, and but you know what? I, I am hopeful for the U.S. just because 
at the end of the day, throughout history, we've always had authoritarian leadership. And so the U.S. has been like this experiment where we, we've had these freedoms and, and it's kind of an anomaly. And so <laughs> I think the next coming years or however long is really going to show whether we still have that spirit of our forefathers in us yes. to say no. And I'm starting to see that. I'm starting to be very hopeful, even though you don't see it on the news as much. I see it on, you know, alternative media where people are suing States are suing Florida, Texas. They're not allowing these mandates. School districts and parents in school districts in Nevada are suing for millions of dollars because they don't want this for their children. And so I'm very, very hopeful for for the American people because yeah, a we we are still armed. And I think yep. if Australia were still armed, they wouldn't be doing what they're doing. But we are armed at the end of the day. And again, we have these freedoms that we've had our entire lives. We're not going to just throw it away for this. And I think people are starting to wake up and starting to see this is more than just about trying to protect other people and trying to help them by vaccinating whatever narratives out there they're throwing on us because we're starting to see the draconian laws being yes. put in place. And we're seeing how it's affecting everyone. And we're seeing all the other things that are happening on the, on the, the outside, like the, the $1.8 trillion infrastructure bill that, you know, they want to tax us per mile that we drive and add more taxes on our, on our properties. Like this is like our forefathers in Britain all over again, you know, with, yep. with just with, with adding medical tyranny to it. <laughs> yeah. It's um, pretty, pretty wild what they're trying to do. I think it's also a divide and conquer kind of thing, you know, to, to, to weaken the U S by creating this, this, you know, these two camps, the vaccinated versus the unvaccinated, the masked versus the unmasked. But I agree that there are more and more people waking up. And that's why I'll, that's another reason why I'm doing what I'm doing is to help people to connect with each other. And I, and I tell people, you know, even if you do get end up getting fired, reach out. Now's the time to reach out and connect with other like-minded people to create. We need to create a new healthcare system. We need to create new jobs, small businesses were going under, but now you're going to have to have your own business or a small business because of these, these mandates are applied to the hundred employees or more businesses. So maybe in a way it'll backfire on them and it will strengthen the, the small businesses. And, you know, but we're, it's going to be a, a rocky, a rocky ride, I'm afraid. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would love to get into more of the nitty gritty and um, really provide information to our listeners on what they can do if they're pursuing medical and religious exemption. Because I know a lot of people, they try it, they get to a point where they send it in and then their employer denies it and then they just go along with getting the vaccine. So what is it that they can do step by step to really fight this with their employers? Well, I mean, if they are denied uh, a religious exemption, they can immediately file a complaint with EEOC and they can see if there are any other people in the, you know, that were employed by the same employer and gather together a group of people and find a, a law firm to represent them. The employers are very tricky what they're doing. They'll put people on unpaid leave, right? So they won't fire them. Because if they were to, to fire them, obviously you didn't do anything wrong. So then you'd be eligible for unemployment. But the employers don't want people to be collecting unemployment. So they put them on unpaid leave. It's really very, very nasty what they're doing. But um, the first thing I tell people to do is I have a list of questions, five questions if you're being mandated to take the vaccine, um, five questions to ask your employer. Uh, one, if I get sick after I take the vaccine for a couple of days, do I have to use my PTO or will you be covering my PTO? Second, if I become permanently disabled, will I be eligible for workers' comp or not? Third, if I die as a result of taking the vaccine, will my family get my employer-provided life insurance? Because many, many employers provide life insurance. Fourth, what will you do with my private personal information about my vaccination status, my religious beliefs, my medical status? How long will you retain it? Who will you share it with? And when will you delete it? So that's privacy related, right? And fifth is how do I request a medical and or religious exemption? 
because many of the, the of the employers are not even providing that basic info. They just say you have to do it, and that, and that's it. They don't even tell you how to go about applying for an exemption. So those are basically the five questions that I tell people to ask their employers. And even if you've already been denied your exemption, you could still ask the other questions because supposedly the employer is now saying, no, you don't have an exemption. You must go and roll up your sleeve and get injected. So you could still ask the employer all the first four questions, which are, again, you know, what happens if I get sick and I'm homesick for three, four, five days? Is that coming out of my PTO or are you going to cover that, right? And, and second, if I become permanently disabled, Am I going to get workers' comp? And, and third, if I die, do I get my life insurance payout? And fourth, how are you going to protect my privacy? All those questions are still relevant if you were denied an exemption. And the, one of the purposes of asking the questions is to, to kind of make these HR people think. They need to think about what the real meaning is. I mean, they just kind of act blindly. They're all following orders, just going back to the World War II analogy. These people are just all following orders. Oh, it's a good thing to get vaccinated. These silly people, they don't want to get vaccinated. You know, we're, we know what's best for them. We're just going to tell them to do it. We're going to be tough on COVID and tough on these, you know, silly employees. Well, I think all these questions are valid questions that they need to answer. And, and the more we jog them to think, the more likely more people will awake. So those are really the options that I'm aware of are EEOC complaints for, for anyone who's denied their religious exemption. I, I, as far as I know, they won't handle denial of medical exemptions. So if you, even if you give them a note from your doctor that says you should, you should not get this vaccine, it could you know, cause you serious injury or death, uh, if they think, in their opinion, you still should get it, then they're sub suddenly going to replay, take the place of your doctor and you and make a decision for you about your medical care. That's not something that the EEOC will handle. You can try to, to find a litigator that would will handle it. Usually there are several people, at least, in, in every employment situation. So when you band together, you know, you can find counsel. There are many law firms now that are pop popping up all around Liberty Council. Uh, I have a list of different firms around the country that are handling these matters. Uh, I have a couple of people in New York. So, you know, depending on what state the individual's in, I can try to connect them with counsel. And, you know, you need to retain a lawyer. Some employers are offering severance. I have heard at least of one employer that's offering severance packages in return for, uh, of course, a waiver of all claims. Perfect. Thank you so much, Rachel. And um, just to, in your experience, since this is, I mean, this is very short term, right? This hasn't been going on for a long time, but have you seen any successful groups or employees come out on the other side of this through litigation? I mean, there's been a few wins of temporary, you know, restraining orders, but uh, it's not all that encouraging so as of yet. But, you know, we have to continue trying. The problem with the courts is that most judges defer to the medical experts and they don't really look at things. They don't look at things independently. If the medical expert says uh, you should get vaccinated, they say, oh, well, you know. You should get vaccinated and they don't really ask questions and that's unfortunate well the fact that there is law firms popping up that are representing people you know for, for this issue is, is pretty promising because yeah. you know there there is value in this there there is importance to this and there wouldn't be if there, there weren't people like you or other people who are actually fighting in court for this for their you know right. legal representation that you know, moving forward trying to, to fight this in there and again i just feel like more people are starting to wake up to this and see like wow you know this this is going beyond what i expected and you know it's like oh you're now they're trying to pull the the, the fast one where if you're not double vaccinated or triple vaccinated you know you're still considered unvaccinated you know yep. it's just like when when will it end yep yeah, I told, I said that to my, my family. I have family in Israel. And I said, you know, if you think this is going to end with two shots, it's not. 
you know, it's going to be a, a, a booster every five to six months, you know, to keep your vaccine passport, quote unquote, up to date, you're, you're basically agreeing to be a slave. It's all about compliance. I was never one to be very compliant. <laughs> Same. I, I think all of us here are just exposing all we're, we're the truth seekers, you know, we're not being paid by big pharma or the media, like we're a free media platform and we're all here burned by the medical establishment because of the invalidation of our own health issues and, and what's going on with mold and people's homes and oh yeah so, so we, we totally get it and you know we're 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 definitely for freedom you know we believe that we should have freedom over our bodies and people shouldn't know what our health status is everyone shouldn't have access to what vaccines we've taken and you know it just it doesn't make any logical sense seems like other people are making sense in their own minds at this time. <laughs> I'm Absolutely. Sure I, I don't, I, I agree with you totally. It's a private issue and it shouldn't be anyone's business, especially if, you know, it'd be one thing if, if the vaccine really prevented transmission and infection, but it doesn't. So why is it anyone's business? It's just all one big lie. Well, I just keep thinking about what you said, Rachel. I've never heard this before, that there's 20% of the ingredient is a secret ingredient. Yes. And I yes. just feel like if people are mandated to put something in their body, this is such a huge violation of informed consent. Because oh, yeah. you have no idea what you're putting inside your body. That's right. Absolutely. Uh, I can. Dell Big Trees organization is uh, tackling the secret ingredient issue. They've taken that one on. They wrote up the info on it. It's it's intriguing. It's really unbelievable. I you know. know, I've seen I've seen in some areas, you know, things that I think the average person would say that's not a credible source. You know, theories of, you know, Japan found metal particles in their vials, and some sources are saying there might be graphene oxide, and it's. Mm -hmm. And it's and it's hard for us to know because these sources are not displayed in the mainstream media like the other narratives are. So it's not considered common knowledge. But these people are are making these claims that others are can easily discredit as just wrong or crazy or, or poor reporting. And I'm hearing you say that this is an actual fact that there's a secret ingredient. And, and now I'm definitely more curious as to if those claims have any basis. Oh, I mean, that's in do the documentation, definitely 100% true, because if the standard is when you get the product approved, when you switch over as an emergency use authorization product, they did not have to disclose all of the ingredients. So some were disclosed and some weren't. But when we were all waiting with bated breath to see what the ingredients were when Pfizer submitted their documentation filing to get uh, the, the approval, quote unquote, of their, of their product. And lo and behold, they got special permission from the FDA to keep one of those ingredients secret. And that ingredient is 20 to 22% of each vial. I've seen the documentation. It's 100%. 100%. And it's just unbelievable how, how can anyone be mandated to take a, this shot where a fifth of the contents of the vial is a secret ingredient? We would love, if, I don't know if you can share that document or not, but if, yeah. if you have a copy of it, we'd love to include it with the notes of this episode so yeah. our viewers can kind of look back and see this with their own eyes. This isn't some random claim. We can show them. Yeah. Yep, absolutely. I have that documentation. Thank you so much. This type of behavior is only consistent with a psychological operation to create a submissive society in preparation for a one-world government. Well, that goes back to the World Bank and International Monetary Fund being, you know, actively requiring mandates from all the, these countries, you know, that would seem to point in that direction. We don't know why they're doing it. I mean, is it just because they're so concerned for our health? I don't think so. <laughs> they can't feed the, the poor around the world, but they sure can vaccinate them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they can spend 
thousands of dollars to put a refrigerator in Africa so that they could keep vaccines in the refrigerator, but you know, the people don't have a well for water. It's just ridiculous. Absolutely. This is this has been a really great conversation and I just wanted to touch on one more thing. I know, you know, your time is valuable. We don't want to take too much of it, but I did want to just ask what families can do when they have a loved one in the hospital with COVID? Great question. The first thing uh, I would do if, if I had a loved one in the hospital with COVID would be to get a tablet in there. I work with an organization called WellTab. They provide free of charge uh, paired tablets. They operate solely on donations. So anyone that wants to don- donate can donate if you can get the hospital to agree to put it in there so that you can keep an eye on your patient because they're going to be isolated. As long as they test positive, they'll be isolated. You have very little to no contact with them. I would also consider putting a a healthcare proxy in place, clarifying the patient's wishes as to what uh, treatments they want to get, that they want to have family at the bedside around the clock, at least audiovisual. I can send sample documentation for this as well. Get a doctor on your side that's willing to prescribe and recommend ivermectin, for example. American uh, frontline nurses in a coastal Rotex organization, they have excellent uh, patient advocates. Get a patient advocate on board who can assist because, you know, the hospitals will, will uh, say, oh, well, this patient, they, it's not right. Ivermectin is not right for them. Or this is not right or that's not right. In the meantime, they may be prescribing things that are harmful to the patient. It's really a very bad situation. The best thing is not to go to the hospital, if at all possible, to be quite honest, with COVID. You're, you're better off, if you can, get ivermectin, stay home, get Regeneron antibodies. Are they using ivermectin in Egypt where you are? Yeah, that's, that's actually the frontline treatment in Egypt, is ivermectin. So I know Alicia was told when she requested ivermectin for her mother-in-law that it wasn't what did they tell you, Alicia? Oh, that it, there's no proof to know that it's effective for COVID. Didn't they say it was banned in hospital? So, so you'd rather like have the patient die than try a potentially life-saving treatment? This is, it's insane. It's like you'd rather kill the patient than give them something off-label, which is, by the way, it's a propaganda machine. It's basically propaganda, okay? So, so you'll hear, oh, well, that's off-label. So what if it's off-label? Doctors prescribe things off-label all the time. The prohibition on off-label promotion only applies to the pharmaceutical manufacturers. Pharmaceutical manufacturers are not allowed to promote their their product for off-label uses because the FDA did not want pharmaceutical manufacturers to test their products for uh, indications that it was cheaper and easier to test for and then sell them for other indications which were Uh, harder to test for, and were more profitable. So the prohibition on promotion for off-label use only applies to the pharmaceutical manufacturers. Doctors can prescribe anything. They can prescribe a walk in the park. They can prescribe vitamin C. So ivermectin has been around 40 years, I believe. Hydrochloroquine has been around for 70 years. The, The claim that it's horse paste is a lie. It's a generic drug for human use. There is absolutely no reason not to prescribe it. There is so much evidence. If you just go on NIH.gov, there's a compilation of all the studies. FLCC has good articles uh, proving that ivermectin is highly effective at reducing the time for hospitalization, saving lives. It's an absolutely life-saving medication. To deny a patient a potentially life-saving medication is criminal. There's absolutely no excuse for it. And the only reason that they're denying it is, again, because there would not be a justification for emergency use authorization products, such as the vaccines, if there were viable alternatives. So any viable alternative that pops up gets discredited, gets uh, outlawed, gets censored, gets bad-mouthed. Like, oh, horse paste. Oh, off-label. So what if it's off-label? So what? It's interesting that, quote unquote, third world countries are utilizing these methods of 
providing their citizens with L packs that contain nutraceuticals and, and ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine. That's how India fought their big outbreak in COVID. I mean, right. we heard it on the media. We they were in dire straits with COVID. They were running out of oxygen, running out of supplies, implemented ivermectin. You don't hear a, a word anymore about COVID, about India's COVID situation because they nipped it in the bud because they utilize these life-saving medications that do work. I don't think there's a big problem with COVID here in Egypt. I mean, where I am in the Sinai, I don't see anyone wearing a mask. No one's wearing masks. No one's sick. If anyone gets sick, they get ivermectin. The fact that people are being denied early treatment is also causing more death because they tell people to sit at home until they turn blue in the face and then come to the hospital. And at the hospital, they don't get anything. They leave them in a room. They're too weak to eat. They bring them food. They leave it on the table and go. Come back after six hours, take the food away. Food's uneaten. They don't give fluids because they say that they are afraid that that the lungs will fill with fluids. So they're denying food, denying water. Then the patient starts to beg to come home. So they give them sedation and they put them on a vent, which they get paid extra for. They get paid extra for every COVID patient and they get paid extra for every patient on a vent and they get paid extra for every patient that dies of COVID. That's a medical Holocaust. Sorry, Alicia, so sorry. Hundreds of thousands of people have been murdered in, in the U.S. of A. It's a medical holocaust. That's what it is, a medical holocaust. Perpetrated by a corrupt medical establishment. You know, I lived that I lived that horror. I lived that horror for a month with my, my mother-in-law. Uh, you know, I just want to tell everyone this is serious. You know, when my mother-in-law went to the hospital, I wish we could have been there sooner to help her, but you know, she, she was really in bad shape and we, we put her in there because she had passed out. Her oxygen was very low. So, you know, she was in there and she was doing great. You know, her, her oxygen was high. I fought tooth and nail with the doctors, the nurses, the director of pharmacy to just give her high dose vitamin D and vitamin C for Christ's sake. I provided them the extensive literature. I mean, it was like a three day conversation of yelling and stress and threatening and litigating, threatening litigation and providing the science and explaining it and breaking it down in order for them just to give her these basic nutrients. And then, you know, they, they administered remdesivir to her without even notifying us. So no informed. No. Yeah. We didn't know that she was getting that until a couple days later. The doctors are circling in and out. There's different doctors. There's, they're all busy. They don't want to talk to you. It's almost impossible to talk to someone. You cannot see your loved one. Um, they, they actually set up a scenario to try to get medical justification for my mother-in-law. My husband was so upset that they did this. So they basically, we, we had a conversation with the staff. We said, please. My, my husband is the power of attorney. Please have these conversations with my husband about ventilation because my mother is very scared. She doesn't want to talk about it. She doesn't want to hear it. She gets very panicky. So we, and we only knew this because she was conscious enough to text us. She said, doctor stormed her room and said they were going to ventilate her. And she went into a panic attack. And that was, they were trying to use that panic attack as medical justification to put her on ventilation. My husband was so mad. He drove down to the hospital and had to fight with the, the security and the staff just to see his mother. Yeah. And he finally was able to see her. She was able, she calmed down and that was it. Her, her oxygen went to normal. Everything was fine. And then, you know, a couple of days later, we get a call at two in the morning. Your mom's freaking out. Your mom's freaking out. And, uh, you know, her oxygen is dipping and, you know, they put her on the phone and she's like, I don't know what's going on, son. I don't know what's happening. And they're asking, oh, if we don't ventilate, you know, can we ventilate? If we don't, she's going to die. It's like this crazy situation. My, my husband is freaking out. Everyone is, you know, freaking out because no one is there. No one knows what's going on. So my husband made the decision to put her on a ventilator. Well, come to find out she was on steroids 
And then she was taken off steroids cold turkey, which you're not supposed to do. And I know that when you do those type of things that can induce anxiety in your patient. We think that she was just having another moment of anxiety and panic because of that, because right after they put her on the ventilator, they put her back on steroids. Yeah, they probably did it on purpose. It always happens like that middle of the night or on the, the weekend. Uh, when the family's not and not available, then they they suddenly they have to put the the patient on a vent. It's uh, I've heard it so many times. Yeah, and and it was just like just the day before her oxygen was you know ninety two ninety four. She was doing great. We were you know we were bringing her food smoothies. She she was texting us. She was saying I want to get out of here. I want to leave. They're killing me. Like I have all these text messages from her, and it just yeah. breaks my heart every day because. You know, as soon as they put her on the ventilator, you know, I didn't know that they were utilizing fentanyl to sedate her on the ventilator. And I'm just like, fentanyl is like 20 times stronger than morphine. And no one is bothering to tell us why. And then they took her off the high dose vitamin C, vitamin D without her permission. No Mm -hmm. one told us, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and they, and then before they wanted to add on some, some recently approved antivirals that you know had an FDA black box warning of contraindications of you know with other medication that she's currently on like steroids and I'm just like what is going on there's no logical sense and no one wants to talk about ivermectin and hydroxychloroquine they just dismiss it I felt like we had we couldn't do anything we had no control they were doing whatever they wanted they didn't care to give us any any information and, and she's gone. And I don't feel like she needed to leave. I don't think she needed to die. Consider filing a complaint with the Department of Health for everything that they did, all their violations of her right to informed consent, her right to participate in her treatment plan, the medical malpractice. I mean, you might be able to file for compensation from because she had COVID. Um, as I mentioned earlier, there's full immunity under the PrEP Act. But there, there is an option to file for compensation from uh, the uh, CICP, CCIP Compensation Fund, COVID something compensation fund. I, I don't think anyone's ever gotten a payout, but they should be flooded with, you know, requests for compensation because what's been done to people, I don't know if you have access to Facebook. There's a video of a, of a young man that I work with, Avi Dror. He was um, out in front of uh, Maimonides Hospital in New York uh, demonstrating after they killed his father. They killed his father within like a few days of him getting into the hospital. And he was also begging to come home and saying they, were, they weren't giving him food, they weren't giving him water. And of course, then the patient gets upset and then they sedate them and they put them on a vent. Shut them up. But this is being represented as like the, these are these people are dying from lung damage of COVID. They're not saying that the remdesivir is causing blood clots and kidney right. failure, and then they're getting intubated with mm-hmm. organ failure and blood clots. They're not saying that. They're saying, oh, the severe lung damage. Yeah. Right. Yep. What tests are they yeah. using to prove the severe lung damage? How are they? How are they diagnosing that even? Well, they're, they're utilizing x-rays and CT scans, but yeah, I mean, my mother-in-law died of kidney and liver failure. I mean, who wouldn't die of kidney and liver failure if you're on paralytics, you're on fentanyl, you're on steroids, you're on antibiotics, you're on remdesivir, you're not moving, you're literally laying there doing nothing all day. Look, I mean, once yeah. you're on a vent, once you're on a vent, you have at best a 20% chance of survival. It's not natural for the human body to be on a vent. The vent itself is it, that should be a last resort to put someone a vent. The best case scenario is a twenty percent chance of survival. It's more like a ten percent just by being on the vent. It doesn't make any sense how my mother-in-law was getting air in at a 90, 92, 94, and then all of a sudden you're ventilating that person at two yep. in the morning. It, it doesn't make any anatomical sense. She was probably saying she wanted to go home. And that's, that's why they suddenly had the ventilator. She was probably texting to go home. If she was texting you, she wanted to go home and they're killing me. Then she was probably getting really upset and she wanted to go home. And then, you know, they say, oh, the patient's agitated and we have to sedate them. And then uh, suddenly they end up on a vent. 
we were very explicit with the, with the staff. We said, we don't want the ventilation. Every single day that my mother-in-law was in the hospital, every single nurse, doctor, whoever we talked to, we do not want to ventilate our mother. Mm-hmm. And they pull that shit where they're calling you at two in the morning. Oh, it's life or death, you know? Yeah. And we definitely would love that information on the PrEP Act and CICP. Yeah. So that way we could provide that information to our, our audiences. And, and I think at the end of the day, the, the most important message to take away from this conversation is to treat COVID early with anyone, no matter if they're healthy, no matter if they're have a ton of comorbidities, get the early treatment, speak with the md.com, myfreedoctor.com. I have ordered medications from both sites Mm -hmm. just to test how to do it and what, Mm -hmm. you know, how to get it. And if it's difficult, if it's real, it is real. You can get the medications from both sites. I would highly suggest doing it before you get COVID because it takes a long time from when you request to when you actually get it. Time is of the essence for this disorder, especially those who are really, really sick. And it is not very costly. MyFreeDoctor.com is donation-based. If you don't have the money to pay them, you don't have to. The medications are very cheap without insurance. I paid $36 for hydroxychloroquine for Mm -hmm. a a week's worth for COVID, Mm -hmm. and I paid $45 for ivermectin, again, without insurance, for a Mm -hmm. week's worth of treatment for COVID. Do not sit around do not allow your doctor to tell you that there is nothing they can do until you're hypoxic, until you're blue in the face, because there is things that you can do. There are life-saving treatments and you can save those that have comorbidities. Key is to treat early. Totally agree. And also you can do prophylactic treatments. You can do the Zelenko, I do personally the Zelenko prophylactic protocol, which is zinc uh, with curtesin and vitamin C. And I also use something called X-Clear, which is a, a nose spray, uh, proven 80% effective at uh, preventing infection with COVID. It's um, uh, grapefruit seed extract and xylitol nose spray. It's also cheap. You can get it on Amazon. So if you're going out, you're going to be around people. You know, you can put a spritz in each nostril before you go out. The uh, Zelenko prophylactic protocol is very easy. One, you know, once a day, zinc, curtesin, and vitamin C. If you don't like curtesin, you can even do tonic water with zinc and vitamin C. And vitamin D also, if you're not getting sun, it's very important to take vitamin D. All COVID patients are vitamin D deficient. For anyone who, who does have to go to the hospital for COVID and, and knows ahead of time that they do not want to be intubated, Having a do not resuscitate is one way to avoid intubation. They can't use intubation to save your life if you have a DNR. I, I don't agree with that statement because they intubate people all the time and then they just took them off after a few days. Uh, you would have to have, uh, you, sh- you should, I do th- agree though, you, before you go to the hospital, you should have a detailed advanced healthcare directive, if you can, where you stay explicitly in black and white. I do not want to be intubated. Uh, I do not want to be treated with remdesivir. I do not want to be injected with any biological materials. I want to be treated with ivermectin, zinc, hydrochloroquine, inhaled steroids, hyperbaric oxygen chamber treatment, high dose IV vitamin C, artemisia, you know, list everything, all the treatments you want to use and explicitly opt out of the treatments that you don't want, but there are no guarantees because they do not respect people's rights. The medical mafia, they don't respect your rights. It's shocking to me that people working in ICU and ER across the U.S. right now are accepting this. I, I don't know how these doctors and these nurses sleep at night seeing their patients die. Some of them these- don't. So I'm working with a doctor who has a hotline for doctor suicide. Doctors have the highest rate of suicide of like any profession. They're not sleeping at night. And the, and the suicide rates are through the roof in New York City. Wow, that's very, that's very telling. And, and then anyone who thinks for themselves is being fired now. 
because the people that do think for themselves are not getting vaccinated, they're getting fired. And who are you going to have left? Only the ones that follow orders. It's another reason to avoid, to the greatest extent possible, going into a hospital with COVID. They have something new I saw uh, recently. It's a new initiative of home hospital care for acutely ill. Look into it if possible. You can get oxygen at home. If you can get the treatments, have those on hand, have ivermectin on hand, have zinc on hand. You can do ivermectin prophylactically. You could do hydrochloroquine prophylactically. Zelenko uh, prophylactic protocol also includes a hydrochloroquine option. Take care of your health. Be healthy, be happy, and stay away from hospitals. I remember fighting with the doctors to try to get my, my mother-in-law out of the hospital before she got intubated and... They really try to make it, they, I mean, they don't try. They make it extremely impossible. Yes, absolutely. You know, um, no. There's uh, the five basic patient rights that I put together as a result of the pandemic. Uh, food, water, family at the bedside 24-7, informed consent for all treatments, and the right to be released upon request. Those are the five basic patient rights. Uh, you can sign an AMA and, and ask you that out, but they won't let you out if you're on a vent, unless there's a, a rehabilitation facility, for example, that would take you on the vent or something, uh, they just won't let you out. Yeah, good luck. They, we tried that. They won't. It's very hard. They don't want to, yeah. They'll, once you, if you want to leave, they'll just cut you off. They, they don't want to put you in, especially if you're in ventilation state, they will recommend that. You don't do that, and, and they won't sign off for that, and yeah. at least in Nevada, where, where yeah. I dealt with. with yeah, um, every state is different. Um, I had a patient in New York who was transferred to another state against the family's will. Even though they had a facility in New York that was willing to take the patient, the hospital took it upon themselves to transfer the patient to, to New Jersey. That's like kidnapping, transferring from a, to another state without family consent. It's crazy. They're just crazy. It's crazy. There's no other word for it. Yeah. There, there is a doctor that seems to be doing good work in New York, though, by um, getting people court-mandated ivermectin into the hospitals. So th there is some victories on that front. Yeah. Yeah. There's another doctor that, uh, that I know America's Frontline Nurses works with. I, I, actually, a lawyer that they're working with who's been getting some good results. Uh, it's a difficult though. There's no guarantees. You know, you, so, sometimes you're successful, sometimes not. Because as I mentioned, a lot of judges will just defer to the medical establishments, you know, whatever they say goes. My family is very sore from losing their mother way, way too early. And, uh, you know, we're all just trying to pick up our, our emotions in our life and, and put it back together and try to reason with what's going on. Yep. But it's just, it's not right. And we can, we can use the science and, and show that what they're doing is incorrect. It's just, you know, people are not, people are not doing that. And they just hide behind the NIH guidelines. They're not practicing medicine anymore. They're just following orders. Yeah. And Eric has seen the corruption of the CDC and the NIH happen, start to happen in the eighties. And Mm -hmm. Where we are now is, is an institution or institutions just with a bunch of bureaucrats that are willing to say, yes, ma'am, you know, yes, yes mm -hmm. to everything. And it, it's not about the, the beauty of science and, and being curious and really investigating and trying to help people. It's really just about pushing agendas and, and making sure, you know, people are, are in line. Um, and it's very sad. And I wish more people would understand that, uh, you know, we've had prestigious scientists on our podcast say that all the good scientists are leaving, you know, they're, they've all left because they can't handle the, the politics of what's going on in these, these institutions. Yeah, it's horrible. It's very sad. Uh, all the good doctors are, are persecuted, investigated by medical boards. Bad doctors are rewarded for following orders. Yeah, at the end of the day, like what you said, Rachel, if this is what it's going to be, then we need to emerge and, and build our own hospitals and, and do things a lot differently and, and move away from what we've built because as we can see, the corruption is rampant and people are not getting help and people's lives are not being saved. It's not about caring for people. It's just about 
who knows what it's about at the end of the day. We really don't know. But thank you again, Rachel, so much for, for joining us today. If there's anything else that you want to tell our audience or, or where can we find you, where can they consult with you, feel free to plug in your information. Sure. I mean, anyone can, can email me at rachel at ablaw.nyc. Um, and I try to get back to people within a day. Uh, if I if I missed an email, you know, just send me a reminder. Happy to to chat with anyone that needs assistance. If it's a medical freedom issue or a patient rights issue, whatever I could do to help, I'm happy to help. Fantastic. Again, thank you so much for joining us, and just thank you for being one of the good guys out there that are really trying to help people through this mess and and just keep going. And I know and I hope that wherever we go beyond this life, you, you are greatly rewarded for all your assistance and, and perseverance with this. We really appreciate it. My pleasure. You know, I say we, it's important to have a, a positive balance in your bank account in this world and also in the bank account of your good deeds. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, it seems like I don't know what's happening to people. It seems like we're losing that, but I feel like we're, we're getting that back because we're, we're fighting some, some weird entity, some weird enemy, you know, coming after us, whoever it is. I'm willing to fight till the end. So is Keely. So is Eric. That's why we're here. We're, we're censored. I mean, we're censored a lot with the information that we put out, but you know what? We don't care. We're still going to be putting it out there. And at the end of the day, we're really trying to just help people through this madness. Thank you everyone for listening. It was a great conversation with Rachel. There was a lot of hard truths. There was a lot of real and raw emotions here today. And, you know, this is what's going on. And if you think there's people out there to help you and the healthcare system is there to help you and, you know, people are on your side, you got to take a closer look at what's going on. You really do. And at this point in time, it's really important to take care of yourself to do preventative treatments, to treat early if you do get COVID because we're all just trying to wade our way through these mucky waters and hopefully find the light at the end of the tunnel. Please like, share, comment on our content. Also check out our GoFundMe and Patreon pages to donate. Thank you again, everyone, and we'll see you next time.